everyone. Welcome to the Happy Health Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Catania. Each week, we'll discuss all things to make you happier and healthier. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey everyone, it's Amy. Welcome back to another episode of the Happy Health Podcast. On today's episode, we have another guest, Dr. Arlena Carrick, trained as a pediatric doctor. She is now a family health advocate, empowerment mentor, pioneer, author, educator, and mother. She helps families create healthy habits that they love so they can all feel fit and fabulous without having to think about it. In this episode, we discuss her four pillars she uses to help families with their lifestyles. Let's get to it. Hey everyone, it's Amy. Welcome back to another episode of the Happy Health Podcast. Today we have another guest, Dr. Arlena Carrick. Thank you for being here, Arlena. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. I'm so excited to. We were just talking before the podcast and everything that you're, you do is everything I do, but you have like credentials. <laughs> so it's amazing. So I, before we get into all that and everything that all the amazing things that you do, tell us about how you got started in this and how you got to where you are. You want the long story or the short story? <laughs> uh, let's go with the, the long story. Let's go for it. Okay, well, I won't give you the super, super long story. But so I'm from the UK, as you can tell from my accent. And I trained to be a doctor. And I was doing pediatrics, so looking after kids. But the UK is very cold. And I've always had this longing to want to go and work somewhere else. In fact, the irony is I partly went into medicine because I knew it would help me travel. So nearly 10 years ago, I decided that I was going to move and we decided to move to Spain. And I kind of thought that it would be easy and I would just come here and work as a doctor. Okay, I was going to have to learn this whole new language, but essentially it would be super easy and I'd just carry on my clinical career. And that did not really happen. That's a very long story and a little bit boring, so I won't go into that. But essentially, I found myself with four small kids Mm. and quite isolated in a new place you know, all my friends at home were thinking, oh, you're living the dream life. And on one level I was, but on another level, I'd kind of accidentally lost my career Mm. and was at home with four small kids and, you know, a little bit overwhelmed by it all really. And so I started blogging. I had no idea about blogging. (laughs) And I started thinking about all the things that I could do. I started a website called Snotty Noses, which was about children's health. I know it wasn't a great name. It doesn't really explain what it was about. And I started doing healthy eating for kids and picky eating. I wrote a book about that. And, you know, it was all going well, but essentially, you know, I think parallel to that was this inner turmoil with me. And I started really realizing that... I had a lot of work to do on myself Mm -hmm. and it wasn't really work that I had anticipated, I guess. I found myself being kind of grumpy with my kids and thinking this isn't how I want it to be. And essentially I got to this stage where I realized that I had sort of lost myself to motherhood and I would look back and think, what was it that 18 year old Alina wanted? What were my dreams and my aspirations? And it wasn't oh, do you know what, to be overwhelmed by what am I going to cook for dinner? The thought was, what am I going to cook for dinner? My kids aren't going to eat it anyhow. Right, right. And so from there, I did a lot of work on myself and really, you know, started looking after myself and prioritizing myself, my emotional needs, my physical needs. 
And then I got to that stage where I realized that the picky eating wasn't everything. It wasn't really what I wanted to do. So I pivoted and that's what I help women do. And a lot of women have issues with healthy eating and wanting to do to lose weight. So it encompasses all of that. But essentially, it's about healthy living and how we can live a long and healthy life and teach our kids to do that. And how it can be easy and fun. Right. I love it. Love it. So um, one of the things that I talk about a lot is health, because I think you know, my main thing is happiness, but health leads into that. And I love how you're like saying that you, not that I love that you lost yourself, but that that was a wake up call that you're like, I, I didn't think I would be here. You know, what would I say to my 18 year old self? And I know you created like four pillars. Can you go into a little bit of what those are and how yeah. you use those with your clients? Yeah, totally. So the four pillars, and you know, I like to keep things easy. It's not complicated. I don't do anything. Like, I love the way that you say you've got credentials and I thank you for that. And it's very sweet, but I think, I don't do anything that is mind blowing. It's Mm -hmm. just easy, basic stuff, but we all need to go back to the basics. So the four pillars are nutrition, what we Mm -hmm. eat. Now you can read a billion books about what you eat. You can listen to a zillion podcasts. You can do all of these things, but I can sum it up for you in, you know, a couple of sentences, eat lots of vegetables and eat less (laughs) junk food. And with that, if you've taken nothing else from today, there you go that's nutrition don't eat eat too much I love that quote that Michael Pollan talks about he says eat vegetables I can't remember exactly how it goes but he says eat food by which he means real cooked food Mm -hmm. mostly vegetables not too much and you know I think that really sums it up it's (laughs) not complicated right so that's pillar number one and you know I cook for four kids who are fussy two of them are super fussy Mm -hmm. And again, it's about easy. Just cooking vegetables is so easy. Yeah. Um, pillar number two is exercise. And I love exercise. And, you know, I look back to when I was at school, I was exercise phobic. I remember I used to, we used to play netball and my friend and I would be on opposite teams and I would be goalkeeper and she would be goal shooter so that we could yeah. essentially sit and chat for half an hour and do zero exercise. And now... I'm, how old am I? 46 and I run and I swim and I cycle and I do seven minute workouts, but I love it. And it's, I don't, well, I do do it because I want my body to be healthy, but I mostly do it because I love it. And I do think after the age of 40, we really do have to be more Mm -hmm. aware that our bodies are deteriorating, particularly our muscle mass. And we have to compensate for that. So we do need to put in some exercise if we want to be mobile and active and being able to do all of those things yep yeah exactly so that's pillar number two I would just add a side note that pillar number two exercise isn't the route to weight loss if weight loss is your goal you want to be looking at nutrition now I'm not saying you shouldn't exercise but the biggest changes you need to make are in pillar number one a hundred percent yeah exactly pillar number three is sleep and sleep again is one of those things that so much science has come out of about sleep in the last 20 years since I went to medical school. And, you know, we know so much more about what happens when we sleep than we used to. But again, it's quite simple. We all know that if we don't have enough sleep, well, I don't know about you, but I'm an angry, grumpy, (laughs) very unproductive person who wants to eat a lot of food. Yeah. And again, it's kind of easy, but again, it's about habits and routines and just getting that into a habit And, you know, people think, well, 
I'm better off. I've got so much work to do. I'm better off staying up late. Mm -hmm. But it's not true. You're much better off going to bed, getting your eight hours sleep, waking up productive and doing the things that you need to do. Right. And my last pillar is emotional wellness. And I think this one is the foundation. It ties everything together. And it's how we think and how we feel and how that impacts our actions. And without this pillar, well, first of all, we feel that our happiness is something that is is random, whether it, Mm -hmm. you know, we're not in control of it. And the reality is we are in control of how we think. We are in control of our happiness. And we need to work on our own happiness. It's a bit like exercising. It's something that you have to practice. Exactly. You're speaking my language. This is like everything I teach. I love it. Keep going. (laughs) But it's amazing. And it's the thing that really keeps you going. If you want to make changes to where you eat or to exercise, if you haven't got that emotional wellness tool, that mindset tool in place, what happens is you start... You get hit by an obstacle, an obstruction in your way, and then you give up and think this isn't working. I'm going back to the old ways and everything just falls apart. And before you know it, you're feeling fed up. You're feeling demotivated. You're thinking, oh, my goodness, nothing works for me. You're often worse off than you were when you started. So (laughs) emotional wellness is just amazing. I love it. So I know you said you have two fussy kids, right? I know you have four kids overall. So what do you do? I know because I have a ton of moms that listen to this podcast and, you know, they're changing their diets, but they're like, my kid won't eat that. Like, what what do you do in that instance? Like when somebody's children are just super picky and, you know, yeah, they're, well, they're it, making multiple meals. <laughs> no, don't make multiple meals. I, you know, it's complicated. It's quite a lot of backstory that you can think about here. And there's quite a lot to unravel. The short story is this, you need to feed your children healthy foods. So you need to take a step back and you need to be looking at everything that you feed your children during the day. So if, for example, you're allowing your child, I speak from experience here. When I say example, I'm like, this is what I used to do and it didn't work. So when my child, my first child was young, you know, we would go and have coffee afternoons or tea afternoons. I lived in England at the time. Yeah all the biscuits, we call them biscuits, cookies, were out. My child would be there gobbling them all up. And you know what? He didn't eat dinner. But Mm. they quickly learned that if they're going to have nice treats at three o'clock, then they're going to skip their not-so-tasty lunch and save themselves for for that. Kids are smart, you know, they know this. So you have to look at everything that you offer your children. And you have to make those choices, healthy, vegetables, Mm -hmm. mostly vegetables, and think about those desirable foods, which can be sweets and treats, but also they can be, in my children's case, any kind of carbohydrate, Mm -hmm. any kind of, let me go with salty protein. So I'm thinking meat, cheese, those kind of things. And they will just want to eat loads and loads of those. So you have to think about what you offer, allow your child to choose whether to eat that or not. But on top of that, you need to think about limits and think about portion size. And so think about what is an appropriate portion for your child's age. And this is where a lot of people fall up because they hugely overestimate the amount a child needs. Yeah. And so that has a double on effect. Firstly, it means that if they are eating some vegetables, you think, oh, they're not eating enough vegetables, whereas they are eating enough vegetables. You just have too high expectations. 
But then there's another effect as well, which is on those desired foods. So thinking about desserts and foods that are easy to eat. Right. I think mac and cheese is what in the States people would have. In the UK, I would say spaghetti bolognese, which is like meat sauce and pasta, right. but easy to eat. And then we give them two large portions, partly because we know that it's easy for them to eat. And we have that relief of, oh my goodness, my child is eating something. Yes. But then they're eating twice as much of that as they need to. Mm. So overestimating portions is dangerous in more than yeah. one way. Yeah. So oh. you have to think about that. And I think the other key factor is being patient and accepting your child for where they are. And if you have a picky child, well, there's a spectrum of picky eaters. So right. some, some people will say, oh, my child doesn't eat, you know, aubergines or eggplants they're picky and other other children will only eat you know a very small number of yeah. things and so you have to accept your child for where they are and you want to move away from this pressure this battle to creating what I call a happy eating environment and creating an easy enjoyable atmosphere for people to eat and nourish themselves and I would say that includes making sure they have a food that is acceptable. The goal isn't to starve your child. Right, right. Give them something that isn't like their favorite food. But, you know, if you're hungry, you'll eat this. And yeah. you're welcome to join in this delicious food that I've made if you want to. I know it's scary, but if you want to, here you are. If not, here's... Here's some options. Yeah, or, you know, so for example, I might put chickpeas, garbanzo peas, mm -hmm. And it's presented as if everybody can eat it, but really and truly, it's just for my son who's picky because I know that if he's hungry, he'll eat those. Right. So that there's something there. So think about yeah. the way that you present your food is another big tip. I love that. So I know like I have two, I don't have kids. So I never really deep go into that thing because I don't have the experience and I don't want to be like, oh, just feed your kids. <laughs> when I'm talking on my own, just because I, you know, I don't have experience with it, but I do have nephews and nieces and two of my nephews love sleeping over and we only have healthy food in our house. So they'll ask for something and I'm like, I don't have that. <laughs> so, and what's funny, I'll just open the pantry, I'll open the fridge and I say, these are your options and they will find something just like what you said, like kids will find they and they're, they're never dissatisfied. They actually enjoy coming over here. So it's one of those things like, yeah, in the beginning, it might be a little difficult um, for a child and, but over time they, they adapt. I think children are very adaptable and they're kind of, they still go with the flow, most of them. Um, so they'll just kind of pick and choose what they what they need and over time that that will become the norm so they, yeah. they've been growing up coming here so now they know okay you know that she's not gonna have oreos but she'll have something else that maybe strawberries yeah. or berries <laughs> you bring up you bring up loads of really interesting points here and one of them is i think that as parents we know that there is this option to give our child something else and if we look back well i'm sure there were picky eaters but yeah. When I was a child growing up, there weren't so many options. And so mm -hmm. it, our parents wouldn't just suddenly go and say, oh, you can eat this thing now. But because we have so many packets now, we know that there's always an option. So in our yeah. mind, there's that option. But once you take away that option, you're right. Yeah. Kids will eat. And I think another really important point that you've brought up is what is the purpose of eating? And really and truly, the purpose of eating is to nourish our bodies. Yeah. We don't have to have our favorite foods all the time, despite what my children tell me. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I know. It's, I tell that to adults too. And I think when, when the adults are struggling with that themselves, it's hard to put that on the children. 
I think it's hard to say, hey, you're going to eat this because you need to nourish yourself. When as an adult, they still haven't truly yeah, got around that mindset. So um, yeah, that's one mindset. thing that I think, one of the reasons I changed from working with kids to adults, but it's one of the fundamental things is that children learn by copying. And if you can demonstrate healthy eating, then yeah. they will just naturally learn healthy eating. And I could see this when I was working with people who were picky eating, I would be almost saying, you know, the parent wants the child to learn to eat healthily, but they're yeah. not eating healthily. And that's an impossible situation to be in. And that's why one of the reasons I changed to working with the, the mothers, because essentially, if you eat healthily, and it's just natural in your house that yeah. is eating healthy eating is what you do your kids will just learn healthy eating even Absolutely. if they are picky eaters my children are picky eaters but they eat fruit and vegetables because that's what they've been offered all the time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I, we didn't talk about this before the podcast, but I actually own a personal training studio and we offer nutrition coaching. And every once in a while, we'll have children come in. And I can tell you, we've been doing it for 10 years. When the parent is involved, like we'll have like a teenager, right? That wants like something for sports for school, or maybe they're going, they need something for a scholarship. <laughs> they'll come train with us and and the the one the children that get the best results is when the parent is involved in the training in the, the nutrition coaching when the parent is like okay we need to change this in the house we need to get rid of this when it's just a child because sometimes they're the parents like oh they're 16 or 17 they don't need me they're still buying the food so the child still has that in the house and it just makes it so much harder it's so much harder but it's it's such a huge thing like if you, as an adult, if you change your habits, it will trickle down to your children, 100%. It's Definitely. just, that's, it's just like a, and I know I'm not speaking from experience, but I'm speaking from, you know, coaching people for years and, and we're dealing with my, my nieces and nephews and stuff. Like they just know, like when they're hanging out with me and my husband, we're not, we're not going to McDonald's. <laughs> it's just not, it's just not happening. <laughs> so I want to change gears here a little bit. So um, I know you are huge into habits and systems and like the science behind habits. And I love habits for everything, for health, nutrition, for goal setting, for everything in life. So tell me a little bit about your, your science of habits and what you think about that. Yeah, I love the science of habits. And I think when I look at the transformation that I stand for with people, you think, okay, this is where you are here and you've got all these habits. So people estimate different amounts of what we do is habit. Anywhere up to 95% of what our brain does is right. habit. And we have, it, have habits in absolutely everything that we do, including habits in the way that we think and habits in the emotions that we exhibit. Right. So think about your family relationships and you know how you relate to your mother and you know when you think oh goodness you know my mother irritates me or something and yeah. I'm going to try really hard not to be irritated then you see your mother and suddenly you're back in that or it might be your sibling or whoever some long lost aunt but that is just habit in behavior or habit in emotion so these habits come up what is a habit it's something that we do without thinking and that key without thinking is a double-edged sword because you can do essentially what are bad habits mm. for our body or good habits and our brain doesn't notice it doesn't know the difference yeah. but obviously the effects on our body are absolutely huge right so if you want to get to living a healthy life and doing all of these things without thinking that without thinking bit mm. is habits 
And what I say is, okay, so you create your ideal life. This is what it's all looking like. You can wave your magic wand, but how do you get from A to B? And what I talk about is a rickety bridge. And you have to go across this rickety bridge. Yeah. And the reason I call it a rickety bridge is because the moment you hit an obstacle, the moment anything untoward happens, like for example, it's 2020 and COVID hits. Yeah. What happens? Yeah, exactly. What <laughs> happens? Well, the answer is you turn back to your habits. And yeah. if you haven't got all the way across the bridge such that your new habits are firmly established, right. you're going back to your old habits. So you're halfway across, you've got all these good intentions. Yeah. And then suddenly you're sort of pinged back like an elastic band and you're back where you were, just like we were talking about a few minutes yeah. ago. So that's the overview of habits. How do you create a habit? Well, the, the quick answer is you just repeat, 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 repeat. But there are more things that you can do because the problem with repeat, repeat, repeat is that you're having to use an awful lot of discipline and right. thinking brain. So we can think about our thinking brain, which is what we call our prefrontal cortex. And that's the part of brain that goes, hey, you know what? We're going to give up chocolate for a month. Yeah. <laughs> and your habit brain goes, are you sure that's a good idea? Yeah. <laughs> like, mm, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, the thing about your thinking brain is it uses an awful lot of energy. It's totally inefficient. And it's making decisions the whole time. We don't really like making decisions. Decisions use an awful lot of our brain power. Yeah. So for example, a lot of people have the same breakfast every single day. That's great. It's one of the most, normally one of the most healthy meals of the day. Mm -hmm. By the time you get to dinner time, it, people are less likely to be in habits. And part of that is because they have made so many decisions during the day yeah. that they get to dinner time and it's like, oh, we have to make yet another decision and my brain is exhausted with making all of these decisions. So I'm just going to take the easy option of takeout or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's one of the reasons why dinner is not, is often not a healthy meal. So the question really becomes, okay, so how do you change your habits? How do you make it easy yeah. to change your habits? And the answer is not discipline. And for exactly that reason, you get tired of discipline. Yeah. And there's lots of different things that you can do, but essentially you're looking at how to make your good habits easy and your bad habits difficult. And I like to look at this like a little toy set. You know, those wooden toys, that those wooden train sets that right. go around and you push them around. It's almost like you have to lay that out in front of yourself. So you think, okay, this is what I want to do today. I, my aim is to eat healthily. And I have to look at my, my route that I'm going to take this day and I have to put out the little pieces so that the little train can go around in a little, yeah. and that's where I'm going to take myself. So there isn't any way that I can deviate from that route because I've set it up so that all those things that I don't want to do, I'm not going to do. And all of those things I do want to do, it's I do want like to that. do. Yeah, exactly. And I think the first step is really self-awareness and mm seeing it all because the thing about these habits is we do them without thinking so we're not often aware right. that we're doing them so the very first step is to go oh okay I can see how when I'm stressed and tired and I've got a boring assignment that I don't really want to do <laughs> I find myself standing in front of the fridge looking at that really delicious bar of chocolate yeah. 
And several times you're going to eat that bar of chocolate. And you suddenly go, oh, I can see what's happening here. And then what you might do is go, okay, I'm going to have a think about this. And I'm going to say, okay, I could get rid of the chocolate. So I could make it really difficult for me to get the chocolate. I could stop buying chocolate entirely if I can manage that. Or I could hide the chocolate, but put some barrier up to having that chocolate. Mm -hmm. And then think about something else that I could do instead. I could go for a walk. I could eat carrots or something else, but find a different alternative healthy habit. But, you know, there's lots of different things that you can do in, in that sort of period of time of how do you build up habits? Yeah, I love that because that's something I talk about a lot is that a lot of times we just try to get rid of a bad habit, but it's so important to replace it with a, a good one, like because your yeah. body's so used to it, right? Like you're you're just so used to doing something at that time, like when somebody's used to like driving through the Starbucks, um, Starbucks uh, drive through if they just like stop, it, it, they almost have this like pull, this gravitational pull to want to go to that, that, uh, that drive through. <laughs> It's particularly difficult if you're trying to stop doing something because then you've got that void and you need to think about ways of replacing that void. So there are lots of different tricks as well. So for your example in Starbucks, what I would actually suggest is if that's on your route home, drive an entirely different way home because then you've stopped all those associations with those triggers. So the triggers are the bits that happen that make us think, ooh. I'm just going to do this. So there's normally something that happens first. So with your example of Starbucks, it might be that you see the sign of Starbucks and then you go, I remember this beautiful thing that we had, (laughs) which is coffee. um, And it's driven by dopamine. So when when you're first building up a habit, we get these rewards in our brain. So there's a neurotransmitter called dopamine and it's that, oh, that feels so amazing. That kind of feeling. Yeah. And to begin with, when you're creating a habit, we look for that, that reward. Mm-hmm. Now, as a habit goes on, we lose that reward. Well, we may lose that reward and right. we just do things without thinking about it. But if you can find a way to replace that dopamine, then you can trick yourself. So for example, yeah. you might think, okay, I'm going to stop overeating. Now that's a tricky one. You can try and think about things to do instead of overeating but there comes a point where you if you're for example eating dinner that you need to stop and so you could reward yourself by of not overeating by having a jar of buttons and every time you put a button in the jar mm-hmm. when you feel I've stopped eating before I got to overeating yeah and that gives your brain a little trick to sort of think about that dopamine I'm building something else I'm giving yeah. myself a reward in a different way yeah and how do you think about like I know a lot of times people will reward themselves with food um I think strong thoughts about that and I think (laughs) I was assuming that which is a bad thing to do (laughs) let's go I know it's a bad thing to do let's go into like what what would you say to your clients and to people listening like when you're when you're doing that like oh I'm stressed so I deserve this or I'm happy sometimes I deserve this you know so it's not always a negative emotion but yeah sure (laughs) no I totally hear you I think the number one thing particularly if we're talking about kids so going back to kids and healthy eating it's one of those things that really you want to avoid doing with your children is building that connection between emotions and food. Uh. If you're a parent, what you want to do is avoid either rewarding your child. So if you have been good, you can have Uh. dessert. 
you know, I was guilty of this before I realized. So when my child was young and he didn't want to get into his car seat, I would buckle him up and give him a cookie. Yeah. Until I realized what I was doing. I was essentially saying, if you sit still and allow me, yeah. I will give you this cookie. And again, the other thing is, you know, don't say to them, well, if you're naughty, we can't, you can't have pudding. Right. Yeah. So yeah, you want to avoid that. So I mean, the thing about emotions is there are essentially three responses to emotions. You can, number one, distract yourself. Mm -hmm. Now, distracting yourself isn't always a bad option. You could do something, for example, go running. You could, you know, put some music on if you're thinking, I'm really sad and I want to be happier. Well, distract yourself from that sadness by putting some some happy music on. So Mm -hmm. it's not always bad if you do it in an aware way. I think the danger of distracting yourself from an emotion is when you're not aware of it and you've linked it to something that ultimately doesn't serve your interest. So like overeating or another example, pornography or overspending, buying things. Right. So the, the second option that you can do is act on it. So, you know, you're angry, you throw, you shout, you scream, you do whatever is driven. And that will lead to eventually burning yourself out. Mm -hmm. I think the reality of that is it's often a sort of tricky ride. And also I think it can lead you to spiral into what I call a negative plug hole. So, you know, you build on that negative emotion and you create it to be a much bigger negative emotion than you really want it to. So, you know, something small, like my friend said something that upset me might last you a weekend rather than, okay, I'm upset. 10 minutes later, okay, I'm not upset anymore. And the third thing that you can do with emotions is feel them and just go, okay, hello, sadness, hello, anger, hello, whatever the emotion is, and just sit with it and be with it and see how it goes. And I think, again, this comes back to self-awareness. And if we can be aware of the way that we think and our emotions, I use this analogy of being on a river and the river is a big, strong river with lots of twists and turns and you're being thrown from side to side without any, you know, control. But once you get that self-awareness, it's like you've got a little raft. And so you're still having these emotions. It's not like suddenly you lose any emotions, but you can steer yourself through this river and actually enjoy the ride rather than getting flung from bank to bank. That is the best analogy ever. <laughs> I love that. That's such a good analogy, just because um, I literally have a, a course on happiness and, and it's not about like avoiding those emotions. I'm, I never say like, hey, we're, you're never gonna feel stressed. You're never gonna feel angry. Like we're just gonna be happy all the time. It's about learning to to be okay with those and like how to deal with them and like, you know, actually facing them head on as opposed to just like eating or doing all these things that we normally do or spiraling down like one little thing messes up our whole week. So I love that it's like getting a raft. That's exactly what it's doing. Like now you're steering it and you're, you're going, you're, you're heading in the right direction. So that's like such a beautiful example. I absolutely love that. So I feel like we could just keep talking for hours because you have so many good things to say. And I think it's so fantastic. But I think um, I think we should tell people where they can find you and all that you do because you are just dropping knowledge bombs on people. So <laughs> tell us a 
little bit about where people can find you and learn more about what you do and your program and all that. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for asking me. My website is drorlina.com. So that's D-R-O-R-L-E-N-A.com. And I have a little free quiz, which I was telling you about before we press yeah. record, which is called how to, sorry, why do I overeat? And it's one of those fun quizzes, you know, where you have to pretend that you're in a silly situation and yeah. you guess A, B or C, but it's also supposed to be informative and talk about why you overeat. So is it that you are someone who does it out of habit or emotionally and things, you know, thinking about the different yeah. main reasons for doing it. I would say that all of them are habits. It all boils down to habit. Um, so yeah, that's a bit of fun. And I work with clients either one-on-one -on -one or I have a group program. Perfect. Perfect. And I'll put all of this in the show notes. So if you're listening and you're driving and you're like, oh my gosh, I say that again, it'll just, you know, use, go to the landing page for this podcast or in the show notes, if you're on iTunes or one of the other pla uh, podcast platforms and you will see it in the show notes. So I always end the podcast asking my guests three questions. So the first question is, uh, what's one book recommendation? Well, I have so many, but <laughs> I will tell you that I am really loving a book that I am reading at the moment by I'm not quite sure what his name is, Matthew Syed. And it's called Black Box Thinking. And I totally love it. Um, it's about reframing failure mm. and thinking about how, as a society, we often try and avoid failure and that actually we would be much better off if we embraced failure and used it as a learning opportunity. And I totally love this because I'm always going on to my clients about those golden learning opportunities. Yeah. are <laughs> essentially failure. <laughs> so it really resonates with me. And... Um, yeah, it's a really, it's a good, good book oh, to read. It's black box thinking. It's called black box thinking. Yeah. Okay, got it. Perfect. I always, I literally always buy the book that if I haven't read the book that, that the guest recommends, I always get it on Amazon. So <laughs> part of my question is a little selfishness. <laughs> I think every book that people recommend, I think it's always a fantastic book. So, and I've read most of them at this point. So second question is what's a daily habit that is a must for you? Oh, so many, so many. I think movement is a really important one. So I couldn't nail that down to one particular habit because I swim, I cycle, I do all of these things, but I think a minimum amount of movement. And I tell you, over the last year, so this time last year, we went into lockdown and it really opened my eyes to how easy it is to sit at home for six weeks and do very, very little exercise. Yep. And so talking about habits... When you disrupt your habits, like we all got disrupted last year, well, then you create new habits. And again, it can be slightly random as to whether they are good habits or bad habits. Right. So for me, being conscious of my movement, I have created so many good habits. And now I am cycling and running and I've done so much more exercise in the last year. And I wasn't sedentary before. I just didn't do quite so much. But right. yeah, awesome. I think exercise for me. Yeah, I agree. Movement is important. I'm always posting on my Instagram stories, move daily. I don't care what it is. Just <laughs> pick something and do it. And you will find the thing that you love. Just like you have several things. It's, there's no uh, right or wrong way. And like everybody thinks they have to find the correct program. It's like, just get up and move. <laughs> yeah. And it's really important for long-term health as well. Our bodies are designed to be moved yep. and they need to be moved. And if we want yep. long and healthy lives, the more movement we can get, the better. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Last question. Given that this is the Happy Health Podcast, if you can tell one thing to help people be happier and one thing to help people be healthier, what would you say? 
Okay, so healthy, just eat more vegetables. Just eat more vegetables. It's so easy. Vegetables. <laughs> I think so many things about being happy. I think one really simple trick is when you notice that you something happens, like for example, you hear a bird singing or something, you know, that just gives you that warm glow on your inside. It might be for me, cycling through the woods, seeing a little sunshine whatever it is, we're so good at just rushing past that and just not really acknowledging it. But just spend two or three seconds just going, oh, wow, I really liked that. I really enjoyed that. And it just reinforces that lovely feeling that you have and makes you smile a little bit more. Yes, I love it. Love it. It's enjoying the small things. It's so simple that people don't realize that that the simple things, just like the simple habits, like you're saying, oh, your program is simple. It's those are the things that give you the biggest results. It's Absolutely. not the, the magic pill of these super complicated programs. It's just go back to basics, go do simple habits, simple things. And that's how you get the biggest bang for your buck. So thank Absolutely. you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, this has been so informative uh, for those that have kids. And even if you don't have kids, I know I learned a ton. So thank you so much. And is there anything else you'd like to say? Any no, just thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. All right, guys, we will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show so far, it would mean the world to me if you could take a moment to write a review. Also, be sure to subscribe on the platform of your choice to get updated on the next episode. The Happy Health Podcast is now on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and all other major podcast platforms.